It's truly great to see you all this morning. And Patrick, thank you for coming to us. You are very, very welcome. Wasn't it good to hear from Patrick and to know that like us, together, we're seeking to serve this community and to show them what God looks like as best as we can. Um, Tell you what, it's lovely to have Sue and Dave with us this morning. Oh my goodness. Doesn't that bring back loads of memories over the years? That's how old they are. (laughs) But it's lovely to have them here this morning. And Esther's back with us, all the way from India, having, uh, I hope, taken our greetings to Dave and Fryn, blessing them and encouraging them. And uh, it's good to have Esther back with us. Tash and Chile, and they were away. Cuba, over Christmas and... It's nice to have them back. A week ago today, Maxine died. A lot of you will remember Leanne and Sol, members of our church here. uh, Before they moved to Plymouth, uh, Maxine was Leanne's mum. And yeah, just a week ago, she passed away because of cancer. I'd have my fill with cancer really have kind of want to say enough is enough and isn't that what the church is all about to declare the kingdom of God to declare his salvation his healing his wholeness I hope and I pray and my expectation is for 2019 to be a good year a good year for us yeah Good year for the church, a good year for our community. Oh, I hope so. For Bristol, yeah, for our city, for our our nation. Goodness, we've got some challenges ahead of us, that's for sure. The book of Luke is one of the four gospel accounts in the Bible. The others being, you may know, Matthew, Mark and John. And the gospels in essence, tell us very simply the story of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. But the fact that four people wrote their account of the life of Jesus that we have in our Bibles today, and that's the start of the New Testament part of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, it kind of begs the question, why are there four accounts of the story of Jesus? Surely one account would do, and wouldn't one be easier, simpler, and dare I say less confusing and I want to make a couple of suggestions in response to this question as to why we have four gospels four accounts of the life of Jesus the first point with this in mind is the wealth of diversity you know if four people witness the same event you can be sure you will hear Different things about the event, a different perspective, and varying details. One will notice something, and someone else will notice something else. So actually, four people witnessing the same event, I feel as though you bring with that a depth 
and a scope of the story, of the whole story, when only one account wouldn't quite capture the whole thing. I kind of think that's good, isn't it? We can expect these four writers of the four Gospels to bring different perspectives of this story to us. The story is told, in fact, of four people who were visiting and viewing the Grand Canyon. An artist, a geologist, a pastor, and a cowboy. As they stood on the edge of the massive abyss, each one responded with a different perspective. The artist said, ah, what a beautiful scene to paint. The geologist expressed, what amazing examples of rock formations. The minister cried, what a wonderful demonstration of the handiwork of God. And the cowboy uttered, what a terrible place to lose a cow. They all saw the same thing, but they were looking from a different perspective. And I guess under that, do you know what I want to say to us? Is this, no matter who you are, no matter your background, your upbringing, no matter your circumstances, your personality, your views, your beliefs, no matter any of that, and that will be very diverse amongst us today, You are included. You are invited. You are welcome here. And you are welcome to the story of Jesus. I guess my challenge to you would be this. Know that Jesus wants you for who you are. And follow him. But there's a second point about the four Gospels I want to make, and that is the wholeness of unity. We can read four different accounts about Jesus, and yet we can be amazed at the unity and the consistency of the story actually being told. Each of those four versions corroborating each other, supporting each other, and verifying each other. And to me, that's one of the evidences of the divine authorship of the Bible itself. This is God breathed. It is the word of God to humanity, to you and to me. And there's so many other points we can make about evidence for that. But along Side the obvious differences between four different people writing their account of the story of Jesus, there's a unity and a oneness amongst them because of Jesus and who he was. You know, it was almost a year ago to this date, I received a letter from someone in this church. That person will remain nameless. Though I do extend to them my gratitude for their encouragement. And this is part of the letter I quote to you. I'm so thankful for, and perhaps even passionate about, my church family. I've always known I belong, even at times the enemy has tried to convince me otherwise. And I respect our leadership and the different ways you all work and your different personalities. I know unity isn't easy, but I know it's so vital And that this is big on your heart too. And that really encouraged me. And that encouraged us as a leadership team to receive a letter from someone just encouraging us. And in spite of our differences, and we are very different as leaders, and we're all very different as family. 
We can be united as one. And I think we do need to make unity a top priority, don't we? We are different, but we can be one in Jesus Christ. We are different, but we're one family and we're one body. We're many parts, but together we are in unity. And I think it is possible to have all those differences and yet still be one. Let's hold on to that and let's continue to make unity a top priority. My challenge to you is this, align your life with Jesus Christ and follow him. The third point I want to make about the four Gospels is the wonder of humanity. Because whilst the Bible is inspired by God, and I've made that point already, there is a human touch to the writings that I believe help us to relate directly to the central character of the Bible, the central character of the four Gospels, and that is with Jesus Christ himself. Because even in the Bible and in the Gospels, there's a raw honesty. And we can quite rightly expect to find those things about ourselves and about humanity that are not quite so good, not quite so strong. But we are able to associate ourselves with the struggles and the strengths, with the failings and the successes, with the bad and the good, with the pain and the healing. This human touch of the gospel accounts that are given to us help us relate. So Luke, and Luke is the gospel we're handling over the next few weeks. He was a doctor and we can quite rightly expect something in his writings to smack of investigation, analysis of detail, order and logic, diagnosis and remedy. And so I'm not surprised at the least that when Luke starts off his gospel, he writes his introduction like this. Therefore, and this is Luke chapter 1 verse 3, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. What a great name. If you are going to have a baby at some stage, why not call him, if it's a boy, Theophilus? So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And as we, over these next few weeks, as we anchor our teaching in the book of Luke, you can expect a certainty and an assurance about who Jesus is and what he is doing in our lives. Don't place confidence in yourself or in your things. My challenge to you would be this. Place your trust in Jesus and follow him. And there's a fourth point I want to make. And this is the last one about the fact we have four gospels, four accounts of the story of Jesus. And that is there is a weight of priority in each one. I personally find it compelling interesting, challenging, helpful to understand that each of the gospel writers bring an emphasis of their own in their treatment of this wonderful person, Jesus Christ. Luke, the doctor. Now, he's a man concerned, of course, with the physicality of the human body, and he emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. And he presents to us Jesus as the Son of Man. 
So that's his emphasis. I'm not surprised he was a doctor. But his priority is to tell the story of the one who came to save us. And his declaration is very simply this. Jesus is the saviour. In fact, many feel that the key verse of Luke's gospel is chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man, there's Luke's emphasis, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And haven't we already sung at the very beginning of our time together this morning that he is my rescuer, he is my saviour, he's the one who's come for me. And so we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing, haven't we? It is all about Jesus. And he is the saviour. And we need to set our priorities straight. And my challenge to you is this. Give Jesus the number one place in your life and follow him. So let's read just a few verses together. Luke chapter 4. And I'm starting at verse 14. Luke chapter 4 and verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So, who is Jesus? Pretty important question to ask and to seek to answer. Well, what do each of the gospel writers emphasize about him? Because again, this is where I'm interested. Matthew, he portrays the Messiah King. Jesus is the anointed one, the chosen one, the promised one. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the king. I mean, no wonder Matthew chose to follow Jesus. Mark portrays the suffering servant. The one who came to serve us, to give his life for us, to die for us, to experience our pain and our sorrow. No wonder Mark chose to follow Jesus. John portrays the Son of God, the one sent by Father God, the one who shows us what God looks like, the one who came to bring us back home to God. I mean, no wonder John chose to follow Jesus. And Luke, I've already said, portrays the Son of Man, the Savior of men and women, the rescuer of all who will call on his name, the one who forgives us our sins. No wonder Luke chose to follow Jesus. But you might be critical of my use of these four people, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, because surely these are Jesus' friends anyway. They are his disciples. They are his followers. They are his close friends. 
Won't they be biased towards their good friend Jesus? Can't we expectedly anticipate them speaking well of Jesus? I think we can. But actually, we've only got to read on a little bit further in that fourth chapter of Luke where I read from to find that there are those who could not possibly show any bias from those who actually declared who Jesus was from a perspective of not being a friend, not being a follower. In fact, the opposite, even being his enemy. So in verse 33 of chapter 4, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Well, there's no bias there, is there? There's no partiality there. An evil spirit declares, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then later on in chapter 4, moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the Son of God. Jesus really is the Saviour, the one worth following. His friends declared who he was. His enemies declared who he was. And Jesus taught in their synagogues and we read, everyone praised him. They were just amazed at him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching we're hearing? This authority and power. He gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. Oh, goodness me, Jesus. What a wonderful person. The son of man. What a wonderful Saviour, the Son of God. Why did he come? I kind of think all the norms and expectations from a human perspective will assume Jesus has come for the privileged, the wealthy, the famous, the worthy. Because our culture and our society, and I think I'm speaking on the part of the country that I'm living in, the wealthy west of our world, that there is a culture and society which has a default setting of ranking wealth, fame, and popularity as the highest priorities. But Jesus says, quite the opposite, I've come for the the poor. I've come for the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. And more than that, I've come to rescue them, to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed. Those whom society rejects and spurns and casts aside, Jesus says, welcome, I've come for you, come to me. And I kind of find that As Jesus declares this, his manifesto, this, his mission on earth. To be honest, it's quite close to our own little vision as a church for this current year. We declared it back in September for this academic year of rebuilding and repairing and restoring. And Jesus is saying, look, this is what I've come to do for the poor, for the oppressed, for the prisoner, for the blind. And I love Jesus' clear declaration of why he came. 
I find myself all too easily doing this. I wonder if you do as well. It's too easy to excuse ourselves from the work of Jesus Christ because, and this is the theology, this is the argument, this is the logic. Jesus was Jesus. He was the Son of God. He could do miracles. He, he was amazing. He's the Savior of the world. He's the light of the world. I can't do the work that he did because Jesus is Jesus and I'm not Jesus. It's too easy, isn't it, for us to make that our excuse. Do you ever do that? I can't. And that's the, the default setting. I can't do that. I can't talk to that person. I can't talk about Jesus. I can't do that. I'm not Jesus. And it does beg another question around how did Jesus do this? I mean, it's true. Yes, none of us could die for the sins of the world, but Jesus did. But I think Jesus does want us to preach good news to the poor. He said, that's why I've come. Don't you think he wants us to do the same? I've come to set the prisoners free. Isn't that what he wants us to do? I've come for the oppressed. That they might be released. Isn't that what we're called to do as well? We can't excuse ourselves from the work of Jesus Christ. We've got to jump right in and do it. And I know it begs the question, but we're not Jesus. No, we're not. How did he do it? In many ways, it's the same way that we do it. Because he modelled it. He showed to us the how. Not just what I want you to do, but this is how I want you to do it. And the answer's already been given in our reading, to be honest. Because Jesus had, yes he had, restricted himself in a human body. He took upon himself the nature of a servant. He humbled himself. He did not grasp onto equality with God. He came as the Son of Man. This is what Luke is telling us. He was human like you and me. Fully human. Fully God, yes. But fully human. How did he do what he did? And what does he model to us? I began the reading of Luke 4 with these words. Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Jesus, even Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man placed his reliance upon the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus sets out his manifesto and he declares his mission, of course that's at the start of, of his public ministry on earth. Um, we understand that. We're right at the beginning of Luke. But actually just before this occasion of Jesus in the synagogue reading those verses from Isaiah, two major events happened to Jesus. One, he was baptised. And secondly, he was tempted by the devil himself in the desert. And on both of those occasions, and this being the third now, he relied upon the Holy Spirit. When he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. There's father speaking about his son Jesus. And when Jesus 
was in the desert tempted by Satan. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. You see, baptism, Holy Spirit. In the desert, Holy Spirit. Now he's in the synagogue. How? Holy Spirit. And Jesus is modeling the how. How do we do the works of Jesus? How do we continue his mission on earth? How do we do what's pleasing to God? How do we live a life that looks like Jesus? How do we lead people to Jesus? How do we live our lives practically day by day? How do we do work in the morning on a Monday when really we don't really want to go to work at all? How do we do this? Except we do what Jesus did and we rely on the Holy Spirit of God. And that's the presence of God in us. And that's the power of God for us. And there was in Jesus a complete relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we need the same. A complete surrender of our lives to the Spirit of God. A constant filling of the Spirit. This is an everyday thing. Every week, every month, every year. To constantly be filled with the Spirit. A continuous sensitivity to the Spirit leading and guiding. And a clear openness to the Spirit's voice speaking to us. I said I would love 2019 to be a good year. But the challenge for me is this. It could be a good year. If I wholly rely on the Holy Spirit of God. If I rely on myself, it's not going to be such a good year, to be honest. If I rely on my strengths, my gifts, what I can do, what I'm used to doing, it's not going to be such a good year. If I rely on what I've got, what I own, what I have, it's not going to be such a good year. But I tell you, and I mean this with all my heart, if I will rely on the Holy Spirit of God for everything, Oh, 2019 will be a good year. Not an easy one. Don't think it will be easy, but good. Not without pain, but good. Not without struggling, but good. Oh, goodness me, I need to throw myself upon the Spirit of God. Do you need to do that? We need it. I wonder what the code is, eh? What are the magic words we have to say? What hoops do we have to jump through? What's the right posture, the right place? Except that if we ask, we will receive. Wouldn't it be good if we did that? Should we do that now? I'm going to ask the bands to come up and lead us. We, we've got time. The band are just going to lead us in worship. And we will. We'll stand. We'll sing together. And we'll worship. But can I ask for two things of us together? One is, if you need prayer, and some of you do, we'll have people at the back of this room to pray with you and to pray for you. So everyone's going to be stood. They won't look at you. They're, they're looking at the front. They're trying to look at the words and singing. 
take some courage and go to the back of this hall, meet with one of the people stood there and let them pray for you over the matter you bring. Let's do that together. If you've never done that ever before, in a kind of public way, you know, oh, I, I'm happy on my own doing it in my seat, thank you very much. Oh, dear me, how many times can we say, where two or three are gathered, God is present. Where two gather and agree together, God does it. So meet with someone and get them to pray with you. But wouldn't it be good if collectively, together, individually as well, but collectively, we just said, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come upon me? Come into my life all over again. Wash me clean. Light up those dark places. Help me unlock the doors of those compartments of my life that I shut off from you. And Holy Spirit, I surrender my life all over again to you. And Jesus, I choose you. I choose to follow you. Are you up for doing that? First Sunday of 2019, committing this year to following Jesus, to surrendering our life to the Holy Spirit. If you want to do that on your own in your seat as we're singing, do that. If you need to go to someone in this room and they're across the room, please leave your seat and go to them and say, you're my friend, I trust you, would you pray with me? Could we pray together that the Spirit would fill us both? If you want to just gather around in little small groups. We're not really good at doing this very spontaneously, are we? But I'm inviting you to consider that. Just where you are, two or three or four of you, say, let Stuart carry on with the singing. He's got a good voice. We'll do the praying and we'll just invite the Holy Spirit of God. Let's stand, shall we? Getting the band to lead us in worship. I'm going to pray. And those are the offers for this morning. We've got a little bit of time before the, the service is over. But I know I need the Spirit all over again. I need him more and more. I know I need to surrender parts of my life that I'm holding on to with a, with a fist that's closed. I need to just open that up to him and say, it's yours. Thank you, Father God, that you sent your spirit and you offer him to each and every one of us. But to all who would call upon the name of the Lord, you will save them, you will forgive them, and you will bless them with your Holy Spirit. You will fill all those who ask. You will come into our lives and be present. You will bring your very power into our existence and into our living. And Holy Spirit, we say to you right now, you are so welcome here. You're welcome in my life. You're welcome in our lives. You're welcome in this church. We surrender ourselves to you. Lead us, guide us, and speak to us with Holy Spirit voice that we recognize and we can hear. Spirit of God, come upon us for the sake of this broken world. Come into us for our own sakes. And would you come upon Ebby? Would you come upon Hallfield Methodist? Would you come upon your church in Bristol and in this country and in this world? Afresh at the beginning of 2019, we surrender ourselves to you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing us. We praise you. We bless your holy name.